Hi, this is Emeka and Elandris, and you're listening to the So Far Us podcast, the 30-minute podcast where we break down a trending topic, centering the discussion on the Black millennial woman's experience, and explore what it means for us by answering with, so for us, now let's break down this episode's trending topic. Over the past few weeks, the Crown Act, Voting Rights Act, George Floyd Law Enforcement Trust and Integrity Act of 2021, and the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act have all made headlines. These bills impact the Black community as bills that have been fought for for years. All but one has been shot down by Republicans. We often hear Black people are not a monolith when it comes to Black liberation. So when bills we fight for are passed or blocked, what does it mean for us as a collective? So for Alandris, it pained me to see the support for Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act dwindle after it passed both the House and the Senate after 200 times. Some reduced the act to just being symbolism. In my opinion, this was a win for us. This was a win that has been a long time coming. The lack of support really had me questioning. Do we really want liberation as a community or is the struggle so synonymous with our community? We just can't let it go. This is Emeka. So for me, I think the Crown Act is a reminder of how important it is for us to vote, including at a local level. Because while there has been work to pass a federal Crown Act, the first Crown Act was in California, and it and similar laws have passed in other states as well. And if we're talking about the importance of voting, it's just as important to know and understand who's trying to hinder our ability to vote and why and how they are attempting to do that. And again, this is not just on a federal level. Yes, we need to pay attention to what's happening with voting rights legislation at the federal level, but we also have to look at the restrictive voting legislation and redistricting happening at the state level too. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about a few of the 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 pushbacks that we've been getting from some of these laws. Um, I don't know if you've come across this, but I have most certainly come across people being so upset about the bills not being enough. Like, what else is there? Like, or if it's now being passed, it's too late. Or why is it so late? Can you tell us a little bit about your perspective of how you felt when we got the anti-lynching law passed or the rejection of the George Floyd uh, bill not being passed over and over as a Black woman? And you see uh, the fights that some Black uh, lawyers out there or, or political figures out there fighting for laws to be passed. Like, I know, I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but I'm going somewhere with this. Trust me. Trust me on this. <laughs> Trust the process. Okay. Yeah. Trust the process. Um, I mean, I would say it, it was really disappointing um, when the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act um, was not passed. 
um, both at a federal level and then there was also a similar act here in Texas um, that didn't pass in and of itself. They kind of did it piecemeal and then certain parts of it um, did pass like maybe three out of seven or eight parts of it. Um, it was just really disappointing to see that after all the work and effort and education and awareness out there about what's going on, where something that just seems like it should just make sense. Human decency should just make it obvious um, that these types of protections should be put in place. Um, and just a reminder that it just feels like once again, you know, our lives and the protection of our lives does not matter, right? Mm -hmm. um, and does not matter when it comes to um, the opportunity to put these types of protections into place. Um, on the other hand, like, you know, you can kind of understand some people saying, well, or questioning or asking, why did it take so long for the MNTL Anti-Lynching Act, right? Because when you look at it, some will say, this is 122 years of trying to right. get it, right? The first time I think a bill for anti-lynching was brought to the Congress was in 1900. And there have been other times that it has um, similar bills have come to Congress and not gone through. Um, I mean, again, it's another form of the government that's supposed to be serving its citizens and protecting its citizens, um, choosing not to do that, knowing what is happening, right? So if you look at some of the articles that discuss the passing of, of the Emmett Till Act, um, one of the statistics that they share um, from different sources like the Equal Justice Initiative, the NAACP, um, I think Tuskegee University, about how many lynchings took place between about the late 1800s to like the 1960s or 50s. And it was about anywhere from 4,400 to 4,700 with 70% of those being Black people, right? And you can go back and you can see, you know, they would take pictures of the lynchings, right? They would put it on postcards. So you know these things are happening. Um, so it's not like, oh, there's no case for um, these laws. There's no need for it. I know like we're going to probably touch on the voting, um, Voters Right Act um, and to have someone in the Senate say, oh, these types of protections aren't really needed anymore. When when you look at what's going on, you know they are right, it, right, and every, you can know that you can look it up. It's out there, um, and so yeah, it's really disappointing that things that are so obvious, like you know that these things are happening to citizens in the country, and for people to continue to make the choice um, to not do their part like they are in a position to protect citizens from these things in this way right that's something they can do obviously um you know people are like well does this help and um 
we should should we focus on other things but as congress that is their job how they can help people is by putting through legislation and laws and so that's an opportunity for them to do that and they when they choose not to do it or it takes that long it's hurtful disappointing and and scary um absolutely Absolutely. and i and i and I'm glad you mentioned the Voting Rights Act because I feel like it goes back to why I wanted us to talk about this because the Voting Rights Act is so important to our community. And as I studied Reconstruction and understood like what came with voting rights for Black people and how much change we were able to put through, um, I don't understand why there isn't so much of a fight for when these bills get passed over and over. Um, I'm sorry, when they don't get passed over and over, how that is taking away from all of those, those impacts that we've made in the past, how hard we have been fighting. And I know people hate to hear it's like, okay, well, yeah, our ancestors fought and died for us to have these rights. Um, But you feel like, but some people still feel like, oh, their voting rights don't matter. Voting doesn't do anything. I'm like, yes, it does. Because you do have people, like you said, in office who feel like these protections do not serve a place in 2022, when in fact they do. And so I I think about it from a place of hearing these arguments. On on the one hand, you have people saying um, it's too late for certain bills to be passed, but then when we get the... uh, uh, when we don't have these bills passed, they're asking why aren't we doing enough to pass certain bills? I wonder if it's a, a, a mindset of us constantly trying to come out of the struggle. Like, are we making Blackness synonymous with the struggle? And we get to certain places where we uh, get something accomplished as a community And we don't fully grasp it or fully embrace it. And I became so frustrated with seeing how we're fighting for the George Floyd uh, Act and how we were fighting for the Anti-Lynching Act and how we're fighting for Voting Rights Act. And I I guess I I became so frustrated because I'm like, what do we want as it when it all bounds to it? What do we want as a community or are we actually operating in community anymore or do we want anything as a community? Well, I want to go even a step back, right? Because I think you you mentioned something about the Voters' Rights Act where you talked about our ancestors, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you're, when you're talking about, you know, our ancestors, uh, you know, they fought for our rights to vote, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think we all collectively probably have a good understanding of that. Um, and then when you talk about, well, why are... Um, why people may not seem to care as much about, you know, what's going on with the Voters' Right Act, right? Well, because when you frame it like that, is it possible that in our mind, you know, thinking about like some of those pictures from like the 60s and stuff, they always show it to us in like black and white, right? Right. And it makes it seem so far away. And when you say like our ancestors fought for our rights to vote and that's when the Voters' Right Act came into place, 1965, um, but I know that if I want to vote, I can go and vote. They don't make me take a test. So like, you know, 
what what is the big deal right mm-hmm. but the truth of the matter is that texas is one of those states that um was affected by the voters right act but it wasn't just in the 60s right mm-hmm. it has been in every decade since the passing of the voting rights act federal judges have ruled at least once um, that the state of Texas has violated federal protections for voters in redistricting every decade since the Voting Rights Act, right? Wow. And what happened was there was a Supreme Court case that basically said the part of the Voting Rights Act that speaks to um, states having to get preclearance or pre-approval before they change certain things that impact um, voting rights in their state, there was a formula of how you determine which states have to get that preclearance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to see if I can try to find it. But it was based, I believe, on, um, let's see, one second. Okay, so. Eligible districts had vote if they had voting tests in place as of November 1st, 1964, and a turnout of less than 50% in the 1964 presidential election, then they had to get approval from the federal government to implement certain changes to their election laws and procedures, right? So Mm -hmm. from the outside looking in, people are probably like 1964, that's so long ago. Should we make the states? Texas is one of those states that based on that had to, every time they make a change, they had to get approval, right? Mm -hmm. From the federal government. So the Supreme Court in what year was this? 2013, basically said, um, got rid of that formulation. And so basically that part of the voter voting rights act could no longer function and there had to be a new formula put into place well that is what that's part of what um this new act was going to do and it did change the formula it changed the formula from looking at that 19 what 64 to looking at um, any state that's had 15 or more voting rights violations in the last 25 years, um, any states that had 10 or more voting rights violations, and at least those violations were committed by the state itself within the last 25 years. Um, and I think there was a third one, right? So it wasn't based on the 1964 election. It's about what's going on within the last 25 years. And some of those states, including Texas, would fall into that in the new act and under the old formula. But because it did not pass, now there is no formula to require states to get this um, clearance before they can make changes. And so what happened in places like Texas, I think it was like within a day of... um, that Supreme Court case that basically got rid of the formula, Texas um, moved forward with a um, voter ID law, I believe. Yes. 
um, that they otherwise could not do, right? And since then, they have done other things like redistricting, right? And if mm-hmm. you look at that, which now impacts our voting, the first time with their most recent redistricting um, last year has impacted the primaries we just had here in Texas and will impact elections later this year. Um, and the changes that the Republicans did, right? So I think it's just important to realize that it's not just about our ancestors. Um, and no, you were correct in what you're saying. I'm not coming at what you were saying. I, yeah. But I think a lot of us have the perspective when we think of the Voting Rights Act that this is something that happened in the 60s. They fought, they got the Voting Rights Act. So now we don't take tests to vote. And I can vote if I want to. So, you know, yeah, it's not that big a deal. Um, why should we worry about the Voting Rights Act? I know I can go and vote if I want to. There are other things we should be worried about. They handled that in the 60s. No, ma'am and no, sir. Because I can tell you a real life example with my grandmother, who when she saw the news about the primaries was like, wait a minute, they had sent me... Um, uh, whatever the application is to do mail-in voting. I didn't get that this year. Now, I can yeah. remember if it was mailed automatically to her for the previous election, but I can tell you that that's one of the changes that Texas implemented. Uh, you can't, they cannot send out automatically um, the yeah. mail-in applications, which some counties did do. Specifically, I think Harris County had done it. A lot of the changes that um, Texas has made impacts Harris County. So banning the drive-through voting, banning the 24-hour voting, um, their ability to send these applications. Some places, they only sent it to people like my grandmother who are over the age of 65. Um, So they automatically qualify. There's no question. So why can't they do that? So in fact, my grandmother did not get to vote in the primary. You know, luckily, I was able to explain to her, you know, that sucks, that's horrible, but don't worry, because she wants to vote in the governor's election. You're going to get to do that. We're going to make that happen. So the primaries was one thing, but don't worry. Like, you're still going to be able to, we know who she wants to vote out, right? But um, (laughs) Yes, we do. Yes, we do. That's what, so she felt a little better, but she was still upset, and she brought up to me several times the fact that they mailed that to me to apply before. So here's a real life example of someone who's very interested in voting, who the changes in the law that Texas was able to do because they don't have to get pre-clearance anymore in 2021 actually impacted someone who would want to vote from voting. So, or even think about all the rejected mail-in Yes, because now you have to put the information on the envelope, right? Um, Some identifying information on the envelope. So this is not, people make the assumption that, oh, I can easily go and vote. These laws are actually really keeping people from being able to vote today. Uh, We still need those protections in place. These states still need to be monitored. 
but I don't I know I don't know how we got so far into the voting right act. I know we have several acts to go into, but I just thought that was a great insight that you had brought up. Because when we think about the voters' right act, I think we oftentimes just think, oh, the 60s, they do what needs to be done. And I know I can vote. It's pretty easy for me to go and vote. But there are a lot of people who the things that states are now able to put into place that they couldn't before or as easily. States that are, um, you know, the other thing is the fight didn't stop in the 60s. There are people who are taking the the state governments to court over these things that they have put into place. So there are people out there still fighting to protect our rights to vote. So it was not like a one and done in 1965. And because I know because of my access to things and ability to stay in the know about certain things, I probably won't, it won't be that hard for me to vote. There are a lot of people who, I mean, the turnout for the primaries, I think dropped significantly. Absolutely. And I think part of that had to do with um, part of that had to do with the mail-in ballots, the changes, mm-hmm. the redistricting, all yes. of that had a, a big role to play. And I just want to um, shift a little bit because mm-hmm. I, I think about like what you're saying that your grandmother went through uh, when trying to vote in the primaries in Texas. And mm-hmm. as I mentioned, it's... I. I I mentioned this on, I believe, Twitter. We're talking about the misinformation that's being handed out to the Black community and how, you know, we're we're seeing like a whole segment of people being given misinformation about what's happening, what's impacting our community, and especially like things like voting rights and the anti-lynch bill. And we have all these conflicted feelings. And I'm wondering if there is a reason if one of the reasons behind that is our lack of leadership for our community. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think about like, would anyone actually want to lead our community knowing that previous leaders have either been assassinated or exiled? <laughs> and I'm like, are we struggling? Because like something like your grandmother is experienced would have been if we had a, a, a really good leader or multiple leaders in place could that have been prevented or could that have been overturned and made it to a larger issue for our community specifically? Had we had better leaders, do we even have leaders who are willing to unify us? I know right now there's this whole thing with celebrities allegedly being the leaders of our community, which I think is an <laughs> That's like, Are we like, it only feels like uh, for, for our community in particular, Yes. There are, and not just from us, other people like put in to this assumed position of leadership in celebrities and athletes. I always, I am intrigued by that. Like, there's nothing wrong. I, I don't mind them um, being active. You can certainly be a leader, but you don't have to be a celebrity to be a Black leader, right? right. Like, but yeah. Right. I feel like they reduce the qualifications to entertainment for Mm -hmm. our leaderships. Like we are just there to entertain. And I'm like, you think about Dr. King and you think about Malcolm X and you think about Ida B. Wells and you, there is a form of leadership that is missing from, that is intellect, that is actual work. That is, you know, I, I, go ahead. I will say, 
I, I have some hesitation in, in saying some of that only because I know, I mean, I haven't stepped up to be the leader. And I, mm. I know there are some people who are out there doing the work. Also, I, I think sometimes, I don't know, I question whether do we sometimes feel that way? Because I have had some of those thoughts and have processed mm-hmm. them at different times. But, you know, over time, as we become more and more exposed to our history, we obviously discover that the history books and the media left out a lot of our history, which we know, yes. right? Yes. And with that, they left out a lot of people. And so is it that because what the media did share with us, where they honed in on just a few people, is it possible that that's why we feel like, oh, there should be one or two or a few people who really step up as like the main leader when it's possible that in fact, really at that time, um, there were a lot of people doing the work. And so maybe we don't have to have one or two or three, however many few leaders that just stand out. Because I do think there are a ton of people out there doing the work all day, every day. And so I definitely would not want to take away from the work that they're doing or to feel like, you know, they have to, I mean, how do we determine who's the big leader? Is it who's in the media all the time? Because we know the media is not always going to pick the person who's actually looking out for us. We know that if someone is elevated to that level, like you talked about um, assassination, right? (laughs) But even today, even if they're not, you know, murdered, there's character assassination. Absolutely. You know, uh, um, I mean, look at what happens on TikTok. Not calling anybody on TikTok an activist, but just people who are like, out there who on the surface look like they're educating all that on TikTok and it's great and they amass this huge following and then all of a sudden drama happens and people tear them down and personal stuff and stuff in the background and their history and that's kind of that's the society we're in now cancel culture and things like that so from that perspective would we even want someone who's actually putting in the work and really leading the charge and making a huge impact for our community to be well known as that person because there's going to be a lot of people who are going to come in and try to drag that person and distract them and us from the work they're doing so almost i feel like if if in fact we did want one or two major leaders i would almost not even want the world to know who they are i would want them just underground getting it done that's a good point. Yes. <laughs> that's a really good point. No, that's a really good point. And I, I feel that because I think we're so, because we have such a celebrity mindset towards the Black community when it comes to its leaders, I think that's mm-hmm. part of why the character assassination is so big. Like, it's all about mm-hmm. the drama, the the reality TV show of mm-hmm. it all. Like people mm-hmm. are not looking at real change and they're not used to it. And I think part of that comes with also with our former president who put our country in a reality show in itself. Um, and I think that we are losing the substance 
of what true leadership is, what true efforts to put towards building our community. Like we're always hearing people saying, oh, where well, nothing's being done. This one's not doing anything. But like you said, there are people doing work. We just don't Absolutely. know who they are. We, there, I wish more of that work would be known because like when we look at the Anti-Lynching Act, people have been putting in the work for years, for years. Yeah. Like this got shot down by Ron Johnson last year. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's it's like people have been doing the work over and over and we just don't hear about it. And I, another reason I would want to say is that as Americans, our education system doesn't do a good job at educating its people on how civics and politics actually work so that we can all be well aware and educated to speak on it. But lastly, I, I just want to close on and say, I hope that one day we as Black Americans can find a way to truly come together behind a collective agenda. Um, I know it's hard due to our differences, but my hope is that our differences don't prevent us from reaching true liberation. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the So For Us podcast. Be sure to check us out on your favorite social media sites using the at So For Us podcast handle. Like, comment, leave a review, send us a trending topic you'd like us to discuss, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. We'll talk to you soon in the best place that is So For Us.